Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to KCBS In-Depth, a discussion of one of the topics making news this week. This is KCBS In-Depth. Thank you, as always, for joining us on KCBS In-Depth. I'm Jane McMillan. Well, the headlines have been dominated by accounts of sexual harassment and sexual assault, at least claims of such, by politicians, Hollywood celebrities, media moguls. And while these accusations and cases grab attention, we also know that inappropriate and intimidating behavior goes on in everyday life and in the everyday workplace. We're going to talk about that today with Joan C. Williams, Distinguished Professor of Law and the Founding Director of the Center for Work-Life Law at UC Hastings College of the Law. A nationally known advocate of gender equity and legal scholarly work, Joan Williams has authored countless articles, co-authored or authored at least eight books, including Unbending Gender, and with her daughter, Rachel Dempsey, What Works for Women at Work, for Patterns Every Woman Should Know. The Center for Work-Life Law is a research and advocacy organization at UC Hastings College of the Law, and its aim is to advance gender and racial equality in the workplace and also in higher education. Joan Williams, thank you for being with us on In-Depth. Thank you, Jane. And welcome back. Yeah, last time we spoke, it was a lot about um, new uh, work in the area of family care and workplace protection Mm -hmm. and law. And today, here we are back in the midst of... Headlines that who could have predicted. Yeah. Certainly you're not surprised by the fact that this stuff goes on in your work. No, not at all. Um, I mean, we did a recent, well, for what works for women at work, in fact, one of the things we found there is that one one out of three women reported having encountered sexual harassment in their careers. So it's very, very common. But what's really changed, there's been a sea change just in this time around um, where with lots and lots and lots of women coming forward. Now, the great thing is that lots and lots of women have been wronged and they now feel like they can come forward. One thing you worry about a little bit is unsubstantiated allegations that are being passed around. I mean that there's the there right there it is right there the strength of the internet and the Achilles heel. We're going to talk more about that uh, coming up in a little bit. But first, I wanted to find out from you legally the definition of sexual harassment, sexual assault, because okay. we're we're using these sometimes yes. as interchangeable, and and they're not. And there there's a legal standard, mm-hmm. then there's an ethical behavior standard. Um, and then there's this nebulous area mm-hmm. in between. So let's start with the legal definitions. The legal definition, sexual, sexual harassment means two different things. The first, uh, the technical name is quid pro quo. It is basically sleep with me or you're fired type of sexual harassment. Um, or 
you know, do something else sexual with me. But that's the idea of it. The other kind is hostile environment sexual harassment. And there, the, it's the environment that is discriminatory. So the, the um, action of the person who's sexually harassing you in that context in order to qualify sexual harassment has to be, number one, unwelcome. This has to be, even if you consented, it has to be unwelcome. Because what if you consented because you needed to pay the rent, keep the roof over your kids? You should not have to um, to be involved with someone sexually to keep your job. So that's the unwelcome part. Then it has to be the behavior, and this is really important to differentiate between some of what's being discussed and what's legally um, sexual harassment. The behavior has to be severe or pervasive. Um, so if it's severe enough, once is fine. Once is enough. But usually if you have things that are not, you know, somebody exposing themselves to you or, this, or the like, that would be severe. But um, the more garden variety things will have to be pervasive in order to be illegal. Um, and then the, um, the climate must be objectively hostile such that no reasonable woman, nobody would think this was reasonable behavior. No reasonable person would think this was behavior. And it has to be offensive to you personally. So that's the definition of hostile environment, sexual harassment. And then sexual assault and battery are, are different. Battery is like where you grab somebody. That is unwanted touching, and that is not okay. And assault is where you say you're going to do that kind of thing. Unwanted touching. Can you expand on that a little bit? Because it could be anything from forcibly kissing or fondling to... We've heard a lot of grabbing people in the buttocks. Snapping a bra strap. Is that considered... I mean, I'm not trying to be graphic, but... Mm -hmm. You know, if you walked up to a man and you just grabbed the top of his undies and snapped it, yeah, I mean, that's not okay, right? Grabbing a bra strap, that's not okay either. We don't... we, We have a zone of privacy around us and an expectation that people won't touch us unless we say, fine, you can touch me. That's just kind of the that's kind of the deal that we have with each other, and women are actually part of that deal or should be. There's an intent behind touching. Someone could come up and give a, a collegial hug to somebody, and it would not be felt to be offensive. Let's say it's not felt to be offensive, yeah. but another person with an intent. Or even a vibe that could be felt to be well. A, I mean, offensive. it's not so sexual how... assault unless it's sexual, right? Yeah. So I mean, the law is common sense. At but some in terms level. of trying to prove that, let's say somebody in a workplace, and it could be a male or a female, goes with a complaint, let's say, of mm-hmm. inappropriate touching. Mm-hmm. That intent is difficult to prove, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I think going forward. Um, you know, there's some really clear lines of when you're at work, it's pretty safe not to touch people unless you say, is it okay if I give you a clap in the back? You know, and that's going to be as simple as that. It's not okay to, you know, to kiss people at work. It's just like, hello, you're at work. What don't you get about this? So, uh, I mean, I think a lot of it is is pretty much common sense. Um, I think what we've seen is that 
some men, because uh, most of this is men on women, there is some women on men and there is some men on men, um, but most of it is men on women. And there are some men who, uh, particularly if they get into positions of power, um, they, they just feel they can do anything and that the normal rules don't apply to them. And so they do things that are embarrassing when they come out. And the reason that they're embarrassing when they come out is that they were so clearly inappropriate by any kind of ordinary social um, interaction standard. So the, the mystery at some level is why on earth did these guys think this was appropriate, some of this stuff? And the answer is um, that this has been very, very costly for women to pull the plug on. And so nobody's pulled the plug on the, the, these uh, many of these guys. Um, and then all of a sudden, in this totally fascinating, like, why is this happening now? All, part, the Internet is part of it. All of a sudden, people are pulling the plug. Let's go back to the, the environment, because inappropriate touching is pretty clear. But let's go back to what you were discussing about creating a hostile work environment or a harassing work environment. Mm -hmm. Give us some examples, uh, because that is even more nebulous for somebody who feels victimized to prove, especially if there is yeah. a pervasive culture. I don't think it's neb. I don't think I think we should get away from words like nebulous. Okay, um, I I mean, I, here's one case, because I think it's pretty clear, actually. The legal definition is pretty strict. Number one. The assuming it's not severe, right? Yes. Grabbing you in the whatevers, um, that's severe. You only need to do that once. That's totally inappropriate. But assuming it's not severe, it has to be pervasive. So here's a here's a well-known case. There was um, a woman who was working in a company as a salesperson, and her boss um, made comments about women, like dumb broad type of comments, and um, um, at, put. Asked women to get coins out of his front pocket um, when he asked when she asked him for a raise. He said, "Well, let's let's go to the motel and negotiate your raise." When she made a sale, he made comments of like, "What did you give him some?" Um, and um, and she told him, "I don't like this. You stop this. This is completely unacceptable." And he said he would, and then he kept on doing it. So let's just look at the legal standard. It was clearly unwelcome. She told him it was unwelcome. And it's important to tell people, like, you know, it's not really where I am right now. Um, and um, it was objectively, that's not reasonable workplace behavior. And it offended her so much she finally quit. And it was pervasive. It wasn't just one, you know, clueless remark. It was lots of different things, including things as you know, off the wall as get get coins from my from my front pocket. So, th that's a good example of a sort of classic sexual harassment hostile environment case. He didn't say sleep with me or you're fired, but he created uh, a hostile environment such that um, she couldn't really do her work there. She left. If you're just joining us, we are talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment primarily in the workplace, and my guest is Joan C. Williams of UC Hastings College of the Law's Center for Work-Life Law. I'm Jane McMillan. Are you seeing more and more that these are provable in court, that women are winning in court, or is it still being handled for the most part, outside of extreme cases, just by company HR departments? 
Well, I mean, there's there's a couple things that have happened. Some with some of these very high profile figures, there were real problems where people evidently sued or threatened to sue, and it went to the general counsel, and the general counsel negotiated. Um, the legal department negotiated a settlement with these women, including a confidentiality agreement, and then paid millions of dollars out, which the board must have known, or else they were in breach of their fiduciary duty, mm-hmm. didn't know what was going on. Uh, you know, so And that was going on again and again and again. I mean, it's going on at Fox News, um, for example. It was going on with the Weinstein Company. And I think one of the things that has really changed is that um, I don't think boards will be paying those things out so cheerfully, and I don't think general counsel um, will be advising boards that, you know, you can just let's get a confidentiality agreement and then let's just make sure he doesn't do it going forward. That though the, the legal environment has changed. That said, a lot of these allegations, um, some of them don't meet the legal definition of sexual harassment. Many of them do. Most of them, I haven't a clue because you'd need more facts. I'm a lawyer. so. Um, but uh, I think the, the Me Too campaign is – it's one of these um, – it's complicated. It's an amazing thing that women can finally speak up about this stuff. I mean – I was sexually harassed, just a guess. You were probably sexually harassed. Neither one of us, I suspect, made a big deal out of it. Mm-hmm. Why? It would have been the end of our careers. Wasn't that important to us? Um, but now the culture has shifted so that women can and are speaking up and more power to them. I think that's important. The, the, the thing that is troubling is that when you have people speaking up about things that have gone on decades ago that you – you know, that are not proved in court. Um, you know, human beings are human beings, and women are part of that group. And so you worry that some of these allegations are are not going to be true or not going to be provable, and that that will discredit the large bulk of the allegations that just downright happened. Yeah, there have been some op-eds talking about the tipping point and almost suggesting in some ways, well, if we're going to, as a, as a society and as women, bring up every single, because it's been so pervasive, but every single severe or, or sl- what some would consider slight incident of sexual harassment, either word or uh, some kind of touch, are we risking diluting this new movement and and you're saying the bigger issue is a false claim. I think if you're it. lying, you're definitely diluting this movement. Well, sure. Um, I I do think um, that that a lot of the claims. Ha- I mean, I do think that that saying the problem is that women are complaining too much. No, mm-hmm. the problem is that this is happening too much. Let's keep the 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 the. Let's keep what's important in focus here. Um, and I, I think what what you see now is sexual harassment has been treated very often as a kind of no harm, no foul of like it's just too risky for women to bring up. And now it's 
legally kind of like a flying invisible buzzsaw that didn't exist in one second and then comes into the air and cuts down your company and your career. Most of the time it doesn't happen, but boy, you can end up like Harvey Weinstein or like Louis C.K. I mean, their careers are like, whoa, this really was a, a body blow to their careers. And one hopes that that will begin to change this climate of permission that um, that powerful and wealthy men have felt that uh, that it's just open season and no one's going to call them on it. Oh, I had a legal question for you when we were talking about the boards or the legal counsel of firms when they get a complaint and they choose to settle. Because sexual harassment and certainly sexual assault, because there is a legal definition and these are crimes, is there no, they're no, not, not crimes? crimes. Okay. No. I was um, going to ask about the legal compulsion. These are civil matter. It's a civil matter, not a criminal matter. Sexual harassment. At what point, though, a sexual assault? Assault. Some of these women have said, "I was forcibly, I was raped. I was oh, forced like, to have sex." That's a criminal sex. matter. Right. That would be a criminal matter. So settling that with a non-disclosure. I mean, and assault can be, and battery can be criminal matters right. as well. So yeah. don't they have? Don't these legal counsels of corporations and the boards have to? legally report that to the police no. as a crime? No. 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 Uh-uh. Yeah, you have Would you to... like to see that change? I mean, isn't that part of the issue that no, they can be settled? No, people are entitled to be represented by their lawyers unless you say, hey, I'm going to go murder someone, Karen. Then you, the lawyer has to say, hey, he's going to go murder someone. <laughs> um, uh, absent that, um, you want people to be going to their lawyers and saying, I did this, I messed up. I'll never do it again. You know, can you help me out here? And 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 yeah, and if their lawyers had a duty to report them immediately to the police, people couldn't go to their lawyers. You need people to be able to go to their lawyers when they've messed up. Um, what I think what won't happen is um, a situation like um, was existing at Fox or the Weinstein Company where you had this pattern of behavior again and again and again, and, the, and the, the company paying out millions of dollars again and again and again. That will not, you know, it, at this point, in my opinion, if a general counsel, a head lawyer uh, allowed that to happen, that would, that seems to me like malpractice. I mean, we've seen what happens to companies. That's not uh, fulfilling your duty to the company. If you're just joining us, my guest is Joan Williams. She is the co-founder of the Center for Work-Life Law at UC Hastings College of the Law. And we're talking about sexual assault and sexual harassment in the workplace. I'm Jane McMillan. For women who feel dismissed in the workplace, who feel that they are bypassed for advancement, that their gender plays a role in not being respected at work, it it doesn't meet the criteria of sexual harassment, but yet there's there can be a feeling of being held back or being passed over or disrespected because specifically of their gender. That's just garden variety gender discrimination. That's just a different way that women are held back. So for this is the kind of thing that we talk about in the What Works for Women at Work 
the book that I wrote with my daughter, Rachel Dempsey, and we talk about sexual harassment there, and we talk about how to deal with sexual harassment. Um, but we also talk about more subtle forms of bias, such that women have to prove themselves over and over again much more than men, or that women have to walk this really tight, tightrope between being um, seen as um, not taken seriously because you're so modest, self-effacing, and nice, and seeing as a royal you-know-what because you're not behaving modest, self-effacing, and nice. Um, so those are those, and then being discriminated against because of, uh, you're a mother. There's a lot of different, um, I mean, one of the reasons that women have been, um, have not progressed is that there are a lot of different things that happen to them all related to the fact that they're women. How supportive are women of each other in the workplace? Because there's, there is still the drive to, to get ahead and to play along and to not rock the boat sometimes. So are women, are you finding, is this shifting in the workplace yet? There's actually research on this. Um, where, where women undercut each other, it's typically a symptom of gender bias in the environment. So, for example, um, if there's room for only one woman, if there's only one seat at the table for, um, for women, then women will undercut each other to get that one seat. That's not because of the women are queen bees. That's because there's gender bias in the environment. There's just one seat for half the population. Um, so uh, there, I mean, there, there are. I have been hearing of also a lot of conflict uh, around sexual harassment, um, and that some women think, you know. Other women are just blowing this out of proportion and should just suck it up the way you and I sucked it up. And then um, a younger, typically younger women think the older women is like, why should I do that? So, uh, I mean, that's another way. This is the fourth pattern of gender bias, when gender bias against women fuels conflicts among women. We are seeing some of those conflicts around this sexual harassment furor. And that's a that's a good point you bring up is that the the generational differences in women, older women depends on how much older we're talking about who may feel like, well, this is just part of what I've grown up with. And then there are women who have been through the 70s and 80s and have said, yeah, I'm not doing this anymore. And they might push back. And then younger women might not have faced the same things coming up. Well, there's lots of generational differences over, I mean, each each of these patterns of gender bias has, has generational differences. Uh, I think it's really important for women my age, and I'm in my 60s, um, to recognize that the younger women aren't going to do it the way we did it. And the reason is we were too successful. We changed things. And when they were coming up, they were coming up in a very different world than the one we came up with. And we had to accept a lot of things that they don't accept. And that's success. That's success. But this happens in work family, the work family context. It happens in sexual harassment. It happens in, in gender bias more generally that sometimes there's a, con there's a generational conflict because the uh, I mean, when I was coming up, the only way to do it was, you know, first of all, twice as, twice as good as the guys, and secondly, in heels and backwards. And so, fine, whatever. Um, you know, as the mayor of Toronto once said, women have to be twice as good as men. Luckily, that's not difficult. <laughs> um, that was our attitude. That was our attitude. And younger women um, have more of a sense of entitlement. And I think that's great. I think they should have a sense of entitlement to be able to have their careers doing just as good as the guys and not one bit better. How about generationally in terms of how men 
in the workplace, especially in positions of power, in HR departments, in legal counsel departments, addressing this issue or being responsive to this issue? Well, I just think they have to... um they have to understand what the law is. And I don't think the law is vague. I think the law is really clear um, as to what quid pro quo, sleep with me or you're fired, and what hostile environment is. And um, just make sure that they send really clear signals to people of, uh, you know, if someone has told you that a sexual advance is unwelcome, that's the answer. The answer is move on. Uh, I mean, that, that. what's unclear about that? It's not unclear. I think we've heard a lot of loose talk about, oh, these standards are so vague. They're not vague. Well, and the, the term culture has come up a lot, and that has been used in some instances as an excuse. Well, in my culture, how I grew up, this was okay, or we would just ignore this. And that is not a legal excuse uh, culturally. You're not in your culture. You're in our culture, this workplace culture, and this is what we do here. This is how we behave themselves ourselves here, and you know, you you that's that's the answer. For anyone who is is experiencing any type of harassment or discrimination or frustration at work, um, the Center for Work Life Law has a, a free hotline and we, a website to mm-hmm. to get some information. Right? Yeah, we have a hotline, and we handle only one kind of case. We ha- handle discrimination based on caregiving responsibilities, okay. and we do it for both women and men. We do it for child care and elder care, um, and I'm sure you'll give them the... And we'll have that on our website. Yes. yes. Um, on your website will be the number um, because we um, we, re- we screen people. We refer them to attorneys if they have a legal case. So what, what should someone do then if they go to... Because often an HR department is part of the hierarchy of the corporation mm-hmm. where this is going on. And if they're not getting a satisfactory result, what's the best thing they should do? Well, the first thing you should do is to go to HR. It's their job to handle this correctly. Um, If they're not handling it correctly, then there's no formula about what to do next. Then you're going to have to figure out whether there's somebody else that you can go to, um, whether uh, you want to consult an attorney. It's often useful to consult an attorney, especially if HR is unresponsive. And sometimes, you know, you want to come out with guns guns blaring, but often the attorney will be your 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 um, workplace won't even, your employer won't even know you've consulted an attorney. The attorney will just guide you through and tell you kind of what to say, where, and whom to write. Um, and that that can also uh, be helpful. And then, um, of course, there's always the option of, uh, um, there's a whole chapter of what works for women at work about when to know when it's time to leave. Joan C. Williams, thank you again, as always, for your expertise, especially on this topic quite timely in this day and age. Thanks so much for joining us. Thanks for the invitation, Jane. My guest on KCBS In-Depth has been Joan C. Williams, Distinguished Professor of Law and the founding director of the Center for Work-Life Law at UC Hastings College of the Law. We'll have links on our website, cbssf.com. I'm Jane McMillan. You've just heard KCBS In-Depth, a news interview program, Sundays at 8.30 a.m. at 8.30 p.m. And now available for download at kcbs.com. For all news, 740 and FM 106.9, KCBS. 
We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 